Welcome to NephHacks, high-yield nephrology at your fingertips. This is your host, Andrew Kowalski. I'm the founder of NephHacks, and I'm also a practicing nephrologist. Please visit us at www.nephhacks.com. That's N-E-P-H-H-A-C-K-S dot com. Also, join us on our Facebook group where I'll be posting updates on our podcast as well as general updates in the field of nephrology. Let's get ready to make nephrology fun again. So let's talk about renal autoregulation for a minute. Renal autoregulation can be a little bit confusing. There's three components. You have a myogenic component, you have a tubular glomerular feedback component, and then you also have a neurohormonal component. And we'll start off with the myogenic because it's probably the simplest to understand. So when we talk about the kidney, we talk about filtration, the kidney wants to maintain filtration within a range. So within a range of 40 millimeters of mercury to about 70 millimeters of mercury, those are your mean arterial pressure, so your MAP, you have these factors play a role. And these play a role because it wants to maintain a constant GFR, right? So roughly about 120, 125, give or take, okay? So we have these check and balance systems. Now, in reality, they all happen simultaneously to an extent because you want, if one site fails or if one site's not producing enough of a response, then you want the other ones to kick in, the other ones to kick in, and so forth. So first things first, let's talk about stress, stretch receptors. So to the best of our knowledge, stress, the stretch receptors only exist in the afferent arterial. And that's because there are voltage-gated calcium channels that are present there, but we don't see them in the efferent arterial. And what we know about stretch receptors as, you know, in systemic circulation as well, is when we see an increase in perfusion, the stretch receptors fire and all of a sudden tone is increased. And this protects the glomerulus from getting pounded down by increased perfusion, so such as in hypertension, let's say, right? Accelerated hypertension, whatever. So you have this increased flow, all of a sudden the stress receptors feel that increased flow, they fire, they start to constrict, and it's kind of like pinching off that garden hose, so you're not getting as much flow hitting the glomerulus. So you maintain that constant filtration. If not, the filtration would skyrocket, right? Because you're going to have increased glomerular pressure. The problem is, Increased glomerular pressure over time will cause damage to the glomerulus. So this is kind of like a safety feature, right? So the myogenic reflex senses the increased pressure, tone is increased, constricts down. But the opposite is true too. When less blood flow is sensed, it dilates. And then dilates because it wants to maintain pressure. Because if it's clamped down, you're not going to get adequate flow during a hypotensive episode. So you want to maintain that perfusion. Now, in the tubular glomerular feedback portion, it gets a little bit complicated. So you have a two-step process. The first step process is how the feedback through the macula densa influences afferent vasodilatation or vasoconstriction. And then the second half is a combination with the neurohormonal component, and this is where you have RAS being produced. So if we talk about the initial component, we see an increase in renal perfusion, right? An increase in renal perfusion pressure. So this increases GFR. So you have the myogenic reflex occurs. 
GFR is maintained, but let's say there's more pressure for whatever reason, right? You're overloaded. So you have an increased delivery to the glomerulus, increased filtration. This increased filtration leads to an enhanced sodium chloride delivery to the macula densa. So what happens is the macula densa senses all of this and sends a signal back to the afferent arterial to promote vasoconstriction. And this reduces GFR back to normal. And this also reduces sodium chloride delivery back to normal. And if it falls too low, right, then that mechanism is shut down and then increased vascular tone occurs in the afferent. So irrespective of the stretch reflex, you have this communication with vasodilators coming from the macula densa to the afferent arterial to lead to constriction or dilatation. Now, these mediators aren't well understood, and it's probably multiple factors that play a role. But what we think is that we have adenosine, we have thromboxine, we have nitric oxide, and all of these play a role. So we know that adenosine and thromboxine increase when excessive chloride entry is sensed by the macula densa. So remember, the macula densa senses chloride. So once you have sodium chloride delivery or an increase in sodium chloride delivery, the macula densa senses that chloride and it starts releasing these vasodilatory compounds. And these vasodilatory compounds dilate the afferent arterial and help decrease GFR to balance everything out. And then the opposite is also true. So aside from the adenosine and the thromboxine, which stimulates the afferent arterial to constrict and dilate, we also have nitric oxide production. And this does the same. So increase sodium chloride delivery, right? So it's the chloride that does it, increases nitric oxide production, and then a decrease in sodium chloride delivery reduces nitric oxide production. Now the second component to the glomerular feedback falls into the neurohormonal factors. And what happens here is you have renal hemodynamics are maintained. But outside of the basic day-to-day -day changes where you have the myogenic stretch reflex and then you have this first component of the um, tubular glomerular feedback where you have adenosine, thromboxine, and nitric oxide delivery, now you have the extremes. So if you have extreme hypotension or hypertension, so any sort of decrease perfusion or increased perfusion, now you have the second step, which involves the sympathetic nervous system and the RAS system. So sympathetic nervous system stimulates vasoconstriction, and then RAS leads to the initiation of renin, angiotensin, and aldosterone to be produced. And this functions on the efferent arterial. So let's take an example where we have you know, some sort of volume depletion, whether it's vomiting, diarrhea, you know, congestive heart failure. So in this, in that case, you have a decrease in effective circulating volume. But either way, you have a production of catecholamines, and then you have RAS production. And this all maintains circulatory integrity. So what do catecholamines do? They increase vascular tone, also influence vascular tone in the glomerulus, so in the afferent arterial. But then you also have RAS. And what RAS does is it increases vascular tone systemically, but it also causes a constriction of the efferent arterial. So whatever the afferent is doing, irrespective of that, you can increase resistance, or in other words, increase filtration by clamping down on the efferent arterial, or you can decrease resistance or decrease filtration by dilating the efferent arterial. So this is RAS. So RAS will do that. 
meaning angiotensin 2 will do that. In addition, angiotensin 2 promotes stimulation of the proximal tubule, which leads to an enhanced reabsorption of sodium chloride and other compounds in addition to water. So remember, normally the proximal tubule absorbs about 60%. Now it's going to increase to about 90%. And then also you have aldosterone on the back end working on the collecting duct, which is going to pull in sodium through the ENAC channel and therefore water. So stimulation of both the sympathetic nervous system and RAS can reduce renal perfusion, but it can also have uh, a change in increasing renal perfusion by downregulating. Now, the interesting thing about it is if you think about it in the extreme sense, so if you're clamping down on all these vessels, right, you're going to have this decreased flow to the glomerulus because most of these, because we talked about the myogenic reflex, we talked about the first component of the tubular glomerular feedback, and now we're talking about the uh, sympathetic nervous system, it sounds like you're going to have decreased flow to the glomerulus, which you will. But then you're also going to have an increase in vascular tone in the efferent arterial, which is going to maintain the GFR. So even though you might have a decrease in renal perfusion, your net effect on the GFR is going to be minimally influenced. So it's a really interesting mechanism. So you have everything happening on the front end, but then you also have, meaning the arterial, but then you also have all this happening on the back end to maintain perfusion pressures. So it's really interesting. And not to mention, let's say in the absence of this, you also have um, the counter-regulatory mechanisms, which is your prostaglandins, you know, and then your nitric oxides. So this is great. And this also helps dilate the efferent arterial. So in the absence, or I should say in the absence of hypotension, but in the presence of hypertension, right, what can also happen is you can have efferent arterial dilatation because you're going to have increased delivery to the macula densa, right? So that's going to change afferent tone. But then because of the increased delivery, you're going to have a decrease in renin secretion, which is going to decrease RAS, which is going to cause dilatation in the efferent arterial through the mechanism of prostaglandins and so forth. Now, using um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, you know, cause vasoconstriction and therefore reduce GFR. So we got to remember that too. So using ACE inhibitors will knock out the autoregulatory mechanism in the efferent arterial. Using NSAIDs will knock out the autoregulation in the afferent arterial. And the net result is substantial decrease in GFR because you decrease perfusion pressures. So again, the check and balance system or the autoregulation system of the nephron is a little complicated, but breaking it down, you have a stretch receptor, you have the tubular glomerular feedback, part one, part two. So part one deals with vasodilators or the absence of vasodilators in the afferent arterial. Part two deals with the neurohormonal bit. So that's RAS. And that content, that also includes sympathetic nervous system stimulation. So it's amazing what the kidney can do to protect itself. And I find it interesting. And it's interesting to also note that it doesn't take much to knock out that entire regulation out where the kidney can't protect itself. 
So thinking about it from a uh, pathological position, if you have somebody who is what we used to call nephrotox when I was a resident and a fellow is someone who's on a NSAID, someone who is probably taking some sort of a diuretic and someone who's also taking a Acer and ARB, well, there's no way that the kidney can protect itself in any sort of swings in hemodynamics. So this will induce an AKI very quickly. So please feel free to review this. It's going to take some time to kind of wrap your head around it, but it is really interesting. And we'll move on to the next podcast. So this will, we'll be talking and referring back to this when we talk about additional pathologies moving forward. Take care.